Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number 333-333, recorded November 29th, 2020. So today we're taking it we're taking it light today. We only have two issues. We're doing uh, Star Trek Year 5 issue 16 and Star Trek Deep Space 9 Too Long a Sacrifice number 1. There you go. And I, I like this. This will be quick. This will be. Hopefully, we can keep it under an hour and a half, huh? Yeah, only two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although we have so much to say about. As long that. as we don't go off on those weird tangents. Exactly. That we we are known to do uh, from time to time. But as long as it's Star Trek related or science fiction related or something interesting, it's okay. We just can't stay on them too long. Right. And this is all about the election. And you know, earlier this month, it's not like we had a big election. Here in the <laughs> States. So I'm sure we won't have any parallels or something to talk about. I am oh, no. sure we will I'm not sure go on we'll any kind uh, any kind of deviation. Now we didn't we didn't talk about what mud might be paralleling in the previous issue, did we? Uh, I think we did. We might have. Okay. So <laughs> I, I hate to repeat myself, so let's try not to. Right. Okay, shall we uh, Let's do it. Let's see what mud mud's Gung-ho? into. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So I am doing um, IDW Star Trek Taws, year five, number 16. Uh, there is no issue specific title I can find. Uh, published date October 2020. Creative team is writer Jody Hauser. Art by Sylvia Califano. Colors by Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer Niyataki. Showrunners Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Editor Chase Marotes. We got two covers. Cover A features Harry Mudd at a podium with his arms thrust up with both hands making a peace sign. He is addressing a huge crowd of people in what looks like a huge 20th century multi-tiered open air sports arena. His very comely robot assistant Celia is looking on from the wings as Scotty, who is also in the wings, prepares to advance on her with some kind of metal wrench-looking tool. The cover is by Stephen Thompson. Retailer incentive cover A is another Year 5 travel poster by J.J. This time it's for Andoria. The blue, black, and white poster shows the Imperial homeworld and its scenic moons. It also mentions the gas giant planet Endor. The silhouette of the Enterprise is in the upper left corner to remind you that this is Star Trek after all. Mud in his finest nautical outfit addresses a gathering of the people of the Federation. The five original species, Vulcan, Tellerate, Endorian, Alpha Centaurian, and Human, are all there, but so are many others that came later. The Reagan-esque speech tells them how special they are but in particular the ones that came first. He can lift them up out of their current sorry state and lead them to reach their destiny, their full potential, 
as the Federation founders intended. Only he can do it. Kirk listens to Mudge's speech from a different location via video feed on a Flintstones-style monitor. He contemplates how Attorney General Shaw is right about the originalists. Their platform will put an end to five-year missions and admissions of new member worlds to the Federation. Stagnation at best, regression at worst. They need to find out what Mudd is up to. Scene shifts to an ominous conversation between Harry Mudd and Gary Seven, the upshot of which is, Mudd is still a dishonest rogue who has plans that do not align with his originalist sponsors. There are powers greater than either of them that have plans in motion that need to stay on track. And finally, the chaos that Mud shows will be helpful to the realization of those plans. Gary asks Mud to continue on his current course and show his masters just how useful he can be. Gary, with Isis in his arms, disappears. Mud calls Celia in and tells her they need to access the data now. Celia objects, saying something about the timeline, but Mud will have none of it. He goes on to say it's bad enough having Kirk nosing around, but now a mysterious new set of players have emerged with their own agents that want to use me? Meanwhile, Scotty is with bright eyes, nursing his aching head from his run-in with Celia. By the end of the conversation, Bright Eyes inspires Scotty to go down a new path to co-opt the robot, Celia, rather than overpower her and take the information he needs from her. Scotty briefs Kirk on his new plan and asks for Mr. Spock's aid. Kirk says Spock can't join in on this quite yet, so in the meantime, Scotty should proceed if he gets an opportunity before Spock can join him. In the meantime, Spock and Chapel are in sickbay discussing Spock's current health, which is physically excellent, but apparently Spock does not feel normal. Lo, it pains him to use the term. Feel, that is. Chapel tells him, in her professional opinion, he is fit to return to duty. So he does. Elsewhere, Scotty follows Celia and into an office area with multiple computer access stations. He apologizes to her and strikes up a conversation. Scotty makes the point that when Harry gets into trouble, he often digs himself deeper into trouble in his efforts to extricate himself. If Celia is truly programmed to help Harry, then she should tell Scotty about the trouble he is in so he can help. Cut to another location on Andor, where Harry Mudd and the originalist political leader, Renee is preparing to enter a particularly ugly shuttle. Mud says he has to leave for a while to see his ailing granny. It could go at any moment. Renee objects since the official announcement of the candidacy is coming up. Kirk walks up to the two and lays out that Celia told them everything. She has been hacking into Andorian computer systems and stealing state secrets, technological patents, and more to sell to the highest bidder. Exposed, Harry tells Kirk, what he knows is just the tip of the iceberg, and that Kirk is in over his head. Harry pulls out a gun and holds it to Renee's head. As Mud backs his way up into the ugly shuttle's ramp, 
with his hostage, he explains to Renee that she really should question anyone that is that eager to take on that much responsibility. They are probably not right for the job. Mud's progress into the shuttle is arrested by the presence of Mr. Spock, who neck pinches Harry into unconsciousness. Spock apologizes to Kirk if he stopped Mud's confession too soon, but he thought they really had more than enough to successfully prosecute him. Later, the Enterprise is departing the Andorian star system. Scotty, Spock, and Kirk are in a conference room discussing recent events. Scotty questions Kirk's decision to leave Mud and Celia in the hands of the Andorians. Kirk says it was Andorian state secrets that were stolen, and Kirk did not want to overstep Federation authority. Though the originalists are running out of time, Spock concludes they will quickly find another candidate and continue their attempts to put the Federation on a very different course. Kirk says he hopes they continue to be incredibly poor judges of character. Meanwhile, Rene is having a group video chat with other members of the originalist party, admitting Mud was a calculated risk and saying she will find another candidate before the deadline. Renee is feeling the pressure as she ends the call, and Gary Seven enters the room holding Isis. He gives her a great pep talk and talks her into running as the originalist candidate. Her initial trepidation overcome, they shake hands as Gary explains he wants what everyone wants, a better future. To be continued. Bum, bum, bum. So storyline finished, but of course, the story continues on. The series continues on. Right. So are Tellarites part of the originalists? Were they one of the? They were one of the original um, yes. founders. I did not know that. Yes. Well, I was not sure of that either. But you know, they were in uh, Journey to Babel, right? Right. Um, but hey, there were there were probably many. Uh, species that were not part of the original five. What I was really surprised about was the Alpha Centaurans were part of the original five. Uh, I did not know that at all. I thought Alpha Centaurans were just humans that were re- that uh, had migrate that colonized that that system. Okay. Well, I did not know there was good people, point. people already there when Cochrane moved in. Well, okay, so here's the deal. And I had to look this up because I had no idea about this history. And who knows, maybe this came from like a novel or something, because I do not remember this being in any video production. No movies, no TV shows talked about this that I'm aware of. But according to uh, was it, it? It was one of the uh, it was one of the wikis. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about how human beings were taken from Earth somehow. And relocated on um, on Alpha Centauri, Centauri. Hmm. and and I forgot what they said. It was like not Egypt, but you know, some place where uh, people tend to have uh, darker skin, darker darker features. Okay. So that's the Andorian, the Alpha Centaurans have that kind of uh, mostly have that kind of uh, look to them. So it didn't go into details on how this happened. But supposedly it happened, and the Alphans of Torrens went from that point and then, you know, populated, I guess, whatever the specific planet was. 
uh, Alpha Centauri is the star, right? Right. So it would have been one of the planets uh, around that star that they colonized. All right. Hmm. But that was before the whole, you know, humanity, you know, did did the thing. So there was actually an Earth ship that eventually makes it to Alpha Centauri, and lo and behold, they find what looks to be human beings there. Well, the only only Alpha Centauri reference I remember is uh, they talk about it when when Cochrane shows up in that original series episode. Okay. They say that uh, he disappeared when he was leaving Alpha Centauri because yeah. he he moved to Alpha Centauri and then he disappeared at some point after that. Right. So I I always thought that humans colonized Alpha Centauri since you know it is the closest star, right? To, it is. To it's the, the first logical star to go to. Yeah. So it makes sense that that would be our first colony. That completely makes sense. And that kind of uh, origin story origin story of the Alpha Centaurans is the is what I thought too until I read this wiki page. So I don't know whether that was explained as part of a book or whether somebody just felt like making stuff up and putting it in a wiki. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. maybe somebody listening uh, is familiar with that story, or maybe not. Right. Uh, maybe that was just made up stuff. Uh, I don't. I didn't. Well, I, mean, but I didn't people... take note of the wiki, the specific wiki I was reading, but. But these people don't look necessarily human. I mean, I mean. What's they're... Your name? They look human-esque, like like Vulcans look like humans, but they have the. Well, I think I think it's the woman. Okay, so in the book, she looks like she has on the first purple page, hair. She, that's not a normal human looks, color. Looks gray. Looks gray to me, but uh, maybe it's our monitors. Uh, anyway, um, but she is the Alpha Centauran, and I think the bald-headed guy on the right is, is the, the human. Human, right? I think. Yeah, I think I think you're and, right. And the fact that her her looks are a little bit more um, maybe Indian or uh, darker complexion. I mean, that could be a lot of things, but it 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 does at least a little bit align with uh, what the wiki said. Hmm. All right, look it up. Look it up, my friend. Oh, I will. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Oh, I just uh, I didn't notice this before, but. Also, uh, on that same page, in the big crowd shot, right, where you where you definitely see a Vulcan and a all of the others, right, exactly. Right. Uh, towards the upper right side is the same guy with the uh, a bald guy with the little honeycomb pattern on his skull. Oh, oh, There's wait a minute! In there too. I'm wrong. I am a hundred percent wrong. So the the guy on the right that I thought was human. He's got the honeycomb pattern on his skull. If you look closely, where you're on the first page, right? Yeah, yeah, first page where they show the original five. Huh? Look on the right. Look closely. He's got the honeycomb pattern on his head. Yeah, you're right. He does. I did not notice that. So that that must mean the Indian-looking lady on the left, East Indian, the purple must be the human. Purple-haired woman is human. The purple-haired woman. And the Lex Luthor with the honeycomb is the alien. What well, he must be Alpha Centauran. Interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. So that was an Alpha Centauran that supposedly was the uh, was the evil admiral, doctor, whatever he was. 
right. in the in the previous uh, storyline. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. We can be wrong. But in the little group shot, why is there a, a Cardassian? Or at least he looks like a Cardassian, but no, he's a Cardassian. No, he's a Cardassian. Well, there, but there's a lot of different aliens there. And then in the bottom left, it looks like a Vorta, which they shouldn't even know about those guys yet. I don't think they should know about the Cardassians either. Uh, I tend to agree. I mean, that was the next-gen um, Deep Space Nine thing. Right. Which was further in the future. Uh, is that a um, is that a cat lady like... Yeah, Morass. Um, Morass? Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Good. Good point about the Cardassian shouldn't be. There. Yeah, and they act like these are all pe- mem- these are all members of the Federation, which Cardassia would never was. No. Well, in the future, maybe, but definitely not within the time span of the uh, of Deep Space Nine and, and Next Gen and those. Right. Right. Yeah, I think doesn't Star Trek Online say something about? Uh, I don't know, but there's some stories that in the future say the decimated Cardassians uh, eventually do join the Federation. I, I do believe. Anyway, because hmm. uh, they were pretty, they were half wiped out they by were, the Dominion at the end, were. weren't they? Yep. Yeah. And you don't want to mess with Dominion, man. You don't want to cross them. Yeah, they'll just okay. wipe you out. Exactly. So back to this story. Yeah. What do you think? Um, it was all right. Uh, I thought the Scotty putting the moves and uh, you know trying to trying to do his Kirk impression was kind of funny. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, Kirk's known for two things: one, getting it on with the ladies, with, uh-huh. and then two, able to talk computers into doing something that's contrary to their programming and here Scotty does both. <laughs> exactly. You would you would have thought that Scotty would have asked for uh, Kirk's help and not Spock's help. Yeah. And and Kirk is there. I mean Kirk can just go over there and help him. Yeah, he's busy. It's like, okay, here's what you want to do. Logic problems. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point. But Scotty does it. I, I I like that from the stand. Even though it's not consistent, I mean, what what went there was not a hundred percent consistent with what we saw in the TV series. I thought it was great that Scotty was working a bit out of his comfort zone. Right. Oh, I like it too. Yeah. And and I think he would have been thinking about you know what what would Kirk do? WWKD. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it works. It did. He's able did. to sweet talker and uh, she spills the beans, all the beans. Yeah, and, it, and that was kind of funny because Scotty definitely seemed to be getting on the charm, which completely should be irrelevant. Uh, really, the robot, the ro- he appealed to her, quote, prime directive, which is to, uh, I guess, safeguard mud. Right. But I don't know that that necessarily, that line of logic would necessarily play out in reality. No. Any I- well, because uh, Harry could have gotten away. And uh, Cecilia could have given him the the data, and Kirk wouldn't have known exactly what was going on. Um, but it really was Scotty's breakthrough to get her to spill the beans that that, that really kept 
mud from getting away with it. Right. Now, who knows in the long run, he could have been caught. He probably would have caught in the long run. But in the time, he probably would able to get away with the data. Hmm. Well, good thing he didn't then. Indeed. And I had no idea what, what he, Mudd was really up to. And when they talked about the idea, when Cecilia said, when he said, get the data, I wasn't quite sure what data he was talking about. And when she spoke about the timeline, it's like I was thinking, oh, what the heck are they doing with some kind of time travel stuff or something? What's going on? Um, but no, it's just a simple data heist. That's it. Just a simple smash and grab. Right. Grab valuable data, sell it to the highest bidder. So is that what uh, Mud wanted him to do? Or not Mud. Um, is that is it, was that Mud's plan all along? Or was that uh, uh, Gary Seven's? No, I think that was Mud's plan all along. So when he found out that Gary Seven was trying to manipulate him, he he yep. he wanted out and he did his exactly. uh, data pool exactly early. Uh, that's what I got out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. But wouldn't Gary so Seven he wasn't... know not to trust Mud? <laughs> Well, all yeah, I kind of I'm kind of surprised Gary even exposed himself because Mud was doing what he wanted him to do. I mean, he was, you know, get, the, he saw that the originalist direction was something that was going to cause problems for the Federation, um, and Mud was, you know, a great agent of chaos. Uh, to lead them, so it's like, why did he even expose himself to uh, Mud? Right. Just, just, just monitor what's going on and let Mud do his thing. Anyway, uh, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know if I really like Gary Seven being the pop in and point the bad guys in the right direction vehicle that he's turned into. Oh well, I don't like what they're doing with Gary Seven. Period. But I've gotten used to it. I mean, I always liked the Gary Seven character. I think we've said this before in the other issues where he's popped up and done horrific things. Try to destroy the entire Enterprise and crew? That's horrible. That's not Gary Seven. Not, not the one we know. Right. But I guess it is now. So I, 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 I hate that. Yeah. And, and this is just more the same. He's just doing more, more stuff. You know, a hero version of Gary, which we were left with, wouldn't do. But if ultimately somehow in their grand their grand uh, assessment of the situation that Gary's masters, uh, who supposedly their objective is to shepherd humanity, you know, past their adolescence into, you know, a fully mature well, that race. Was, that was their plans in the 60s. So are, well, are they exactly. still doing it all the well, way now? Exactly. Well, apparently they are. I mean, I, I thought the whole point of um, of that episode was that Gary was there to help the Earth and people through uh, their adolescence, and they had were fully mature by the time uh, Kirk and company are around. You know, we're, we're not only not blowing each other up, but we're working with other races right. in this federation thing i mean isn't that the definition of like maturity so you should go away go away now you know leave us alone right uh, so thanks mom and dad but you're hovering yeah no i don't get it uh, i yeah. now now it's kind of bothering me i mean if it was just yeah 
I don't know. I kind of thought it ran its course when Kirk and him had that big blowout and poked out his eye and all that other stuff. Oh, uh, I was like, oh, oh, oh you think that's going to stop anything? I, I didn't. I didn't I think that I, at all. I thought that was the end of that. What? I don't know. No. At the at the end of that storyline, yeah. Gary, we're talking together, and you know, what's the next move? Sure, sure. You know, and apparently, the next move is this originalist play, right? Uh, anyway, so, yep. Can I can I point out a parallel that I see with Babylon Five? Oh, I've never seen it, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> you. Maybe I should say nothing. Are you ever going to watch Babylon 5? Uh, well, let's see. It's been 30 years and I haven't yet, so probably not. <laughs> okay, fine. So, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for people that don't want to know about what ultimately happened in Babylon 5. What was the big story? So, I'm going to say it now because I see parallels. All right, let's see. It. Okay. So, Babylon 5, as written by J. Michael Straczynski, wonderful author, um, and producer. I mean, he was the creator of the series. Uh, so Babylon 5 had a very similar theme to what I see going on here with Gary Seven's, uh, you know, masters. So in Babylon 5, there were two, you know, super races of older uh, societies that were manipulating the younger races to basically hasten their evolution uh, into uh, a sustainable, peaceful, mature galactic community. Hmm. So. These two old races were still hanging around and stuff in the galaxy, uh, and really they were just manipulating the younger races. Um, and basically they were causing wars. So through wars that was supposedly hastening their evolution, uh, you know, and to finally get them into a coherent galactic community, because they had not achieved anything like the Federation in Babylon 5-ville. And in fact, that's what Babylon 5 was supposed to be. It was a way to have uh, a neutral ground where the different warring species could come together and, you know, learn about each other and blah, blah, blah. Right. And hopefully someday, you know, everybody's kumbaya. So that was the whole point. And then uh, eventually the characters discovered all this. And basically by the, you know, I ended like the third season or whatever, uh, the main character, um, uh, basically Sheridan made the big, you know, Kirk-like speech that's basically telling the older, older races to go, uh, you know, leave them alone and get the hell out of here. You know, we're mature. We got it. We got to chart our own future. Get the heck out of Dodge. So, uh, so. But they, they live in that galaxy too. So why would they not have a say so in how the galaxy should be run? The old, the old races. Uh, well, like Gary Seven and the Master, Master thing, and the and his masters, right? They're manipulating the younger races directly. They're causing wars to happen. Um, people are dying directly because of what these older races are doing. So, if the older races were doing their, uh, you know, prime directive, not messing with everybody else and doing their own thing, that's fine. But they weren't. Uh, I mean, they're killing people indirectly through their actions. Right. So, yeah, it's it's your galaxy until you start screwing around with other races and killing people. So, 
Anywho, um, I see a, a parallel thing here. But now instead of those two elder races, the Vorlons and uh, I forgot what the other ones were. Anyway, but instead of those guys, you've got Gary Seven. Right. Or uh, Gary Seven and his masters who are manipulating people. I mean, they're willing to, to take out the entire Enterprise crew. Um, so they're messing with people. And now by they seem to be messing with the federation i mean isn't didn't he actually say something about wanting to end the federation because there was something about the federation that was heading people in the wrong direction or something yeah something like that yeah okay so so they so they want to destroy the federation to safeguard humanity uh maybe safeguard these other races i mean i think they i think they they insinuated uh that his masters are also messing with these other races. So there are there are maybe Vulcan agents like Gary Seven or maybe Tellarite uh, agents like Gary Seven that are uh, doing their own thing uh, with these other races too. So uh, anyway, I think I think at the end of this this the the, the big macro storyline, I think there could be something similar where Kirk and company are going to say, "Leave us the hell alone." Get the heck out of here. We're mature enough. We need to chart our own course. Right. Where's that? I felt because uh, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit either. I do not. All right. So um, speaking of like, um, the Flintstone uh, monitor, I liked. <laughs> it looked, Doesn't it look like that? It looks like a piece of glass that's a television screen. I liked it. Just, just like a big chunk of raw glass or stone that right. acts as television. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. That is cool. Uh, but why, why is it in that Flintstones, uh, that shape? That's, so, that's the aesthetic on Andor. I don't know. It looks Apparently cool. so. Because if you look at the furniture, like the pillow cushion or the back of that particular chair. Oh, I thought that was another uh, TV. Uh, is it another? Oh, no, no, oh, no. He, it shows him like sitting it. in it, so no. It oh, okay. He's sitting in it. Okay. So, anyway. Yeah, so that's the Andorian aesthetic, but it just reminds me of Flintstones. <laughs> All right. And by the way, if you buy an OLED TV, it's really just a couple sheets of glass with the OLED uh, picture material in between them. Right. So you you could make that now. With with wanted. a clear bevel and everything, so that it looks. Yeah, good. it's just it's just floating glass. Ah, cool. Yes. Well, okay. Make so the bottom, there. so the bottom is uh, the bottom is where all the mechanism is, but on the top and most of the sides, it's just glass. It's just glass sitting there. There's no plastic uh, or metal uh, bezel to it. Right. Cool. There. Anyway. And then um, because and it's not the best cho- uh, choice. What's that? But because of burn-in and other issues, OLED is not always the best choice. Right. Anyway. And then the last thing I have is uh, it was kind of sad that Isis uh, stayed as a cat all the time. I mean, I don't really understand why she was even there aside from Gary Seven has to have Isis, but uh, right. she didn't serve the plot at all. No, she didn't. And plus, she usually is drawn pretty hot. So, uh, but when she's not the cat, when she's in human form. Oh, I thought maybe you had a cat thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I rushed to clarify <laughs> before you jumped on it. Uh, no, I guess they had the android for the eye candy in this one. 
Yes. Yes, that was the eye candy. But anyways, it was a good issue. I liked it. But and I like the artwork, so yeah, all in all, I enjoyed it. Was good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought I actually was kind of impressed with the writing, just from the standpoint that it, it just seemed like a very uh, a very well structured story. Um you know, it didn't seem like there was any fluff at all. Any filler. Well, I guess you can call the little thing with uh, Chapel and Spock. You, yeah, you might be able to call that film. Well, I, I still want to know what that was about. Yeah. I, I and because know. it's year five, I was like, well, is it Vigers already talking to him? But that that should be oh. later. Ooh. When yeah, he feels the calling to go back to right. Vulcan. But still, I thought that was later, later. Right. Well, maybe, but maybe we'll that's find why out. he does. Maybe they're going to say that's why he goes back to Vulcan is because he has this weird feeling. And he right. needs to go there to purge all feelings and do the colonar or whatever. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe that's where Could they're going be. with it. Maybe. But then that insinuates that maybe they're nearing the end of this run, which I hope that's not the case. But, I mean, I, how can they keep delaying the inevitable? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Two issues ago, they were on their way to Earth. Exactly. And now they're on these little side missions again. Right. And this and this particular side mission is done. So right. back to Earth, well, or is yeah, I don't know. is what's her is what's her face going to send him off on another mission, even though she's just the Attorney General for the Federation? Right, Shaw. Shaw, there you go. We'll see. I don't know. We will. See. We will see. I wanted to mention just one more thing. Is that uh, Chapel? And by the way, I did not call her Nurse Chapel or Doctor Chapel. Uh, is she still a nurse at this point? I guess she I is. Think she's still a nurse, yeah. Okay. Anyway, her badge. So as she's speaking to to Spock, there's a very clear shot of her uh, badge, which is in the normal Starfleet swoosh kind of thing shape, but it looks silvery. It looks white, silver, metallic. It might not be, but it kind of looks like it's metallic, uh, which is not. That's not right. Um, and it's silver. Okay. And it's got the uh, the red cross on it. Right. Um, and I don't remember McCoy ever having one of those. Um, I don't remember her ever having and one I don't, with the red. Exactly. The red. The, exactly. the, start, the, the logo looks kind of the same, right? It's just the helps with the cross. Is that? I, I don't remember. Okay so, I, okay, so you at least half agree with me. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, so the color's wrong. Colors are wrong, but... I don't remember there being a medical specific logo. Was there always? Because of course we know we know the captain is like the elongated star, right? Or command, right? Right. And then we know sciences. Little, so Spock has a science, which thing. is that little like uh, swoosh thing, right? Or not swoosh thing, uh, oh, like a like an, another spiral type thing. Something like that. Yeah. And then we know services, you know, Scotty company. Um, but I don't remember. I. I Thought medical was part of sciences. I don't. I, I don't remember what what McCoy's uh, badge looks like. But I didn't. I thought there were only three. I didn't know there were four. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that cross one before. Uh, I just don't know where. Did they do it in the movie? Maybe. And maybe going towards that. Okay, so I just pulled up a picture of McCoy. Now McCoy has a sciences uh, logo, just like. Well, look up Chapel. Maybe she always had it. Okay. Oh. Huh. Wow. 
boy, all these years, I'm completely <laughs> wrong. Okay, so she actually has a patch, and it's gold background, right? and it's got a red cross. Yeah, okay. I did not know that. So McCoy has a sciences badge, but the nurses get the uh, red cross thing? Yeah, because they're, huh. they're not doctors. They're just nurses. Well, I know, but, well, no, no. <laughs> I mean, they're all medical. No, I agree. It should. It should have. That is so funny. So I'm looking at I'm looking at collections of badges, mm-hmm. and there's there are four. There are not three. There are four. Wow. There you go. There you so go. So there's probably somebody listening to this. A few people are listening to this. Probably somebody from the beginning when I brought this up is like, "You idiot!" Of course, there's four. <laughs> four. Yeah, badges. kind of how last uh, last week we had uh, references to uh, what was her name, Troyus of. Oh, Ilana, Ilana of, or, Troyes. Or, or whatever. Yeah, so we had one yeah. issue where we talked about her. Yeah. And then in the next issue, Ken noticed a Predator uniform or somebody that was wearing. Because <laughs> you didn't see this person's face. You just saw a torso, and, yes. and Ken was all like, who's the Predator? And then <laughs> as soon as we finished uh, rapping, we looked it up, and it was it was indeed uh, – Ellen of Troyes. <laughs> so in one issue, we knew who she was. And then the next issue, we did not remember that she wore a, uh, that particular outfit. It was quite, it was quite funny behind the scenes type thing. There you go. Well, I, I, I did not remember that we came to the resolution of that after we stopped recording. So um, I was kind of wondering why you were going over the details, but now I yeah. know. No, that was one of those, uh, man, if only we could go back and fix our mistake because we look so stupid. <laughs> But uh, yeah, <laughs> but but that character, she had like about four or five different outfits right. in, that, in that episode, which is whacked. I mean, how many? I mean, every guest starring alien usually has one outfit, and that's right. it. That's all you're gonna get because the budget only will support so much. Well, some but, of her but, outfits but were so sheer that they probably couldn't censors oh, wouldn't let her point. wear it the whole episode. Oh, or there were so. Little, it involves so little fabric. They had lots of uh, extra fabric to use other uh, outfits. Yeah, we'll go with that, and not the sensors. I <laughs> bet it was the sensors, though. <laughs> well, you know the same sensors that used to make you uh, airbrush belly buttons out because it was too sexual. Oh, you mean? Oh, you're not talking about I Dream of Genie. Well, I you? Dream of Genie had that problem, but you know back. Yeah, but they, they just had yeah the, they had to make the sure that they girl pants covered high. it up, right? Yeah, which I always which is really too bad because Barbara Eden was a very but I find lady. it so funny out of out of all the anatomy on a human body, it's the one that we all have. So why cover it up? I mean, it's just like well, we all, we all have nipples too. Yeah, no, but <laughs> the belly button, it's not a very yeah. I mean, what what makes that exactly. so bad? Yeah. Good yeah, question. I never Good understood question. that. Why, why, why can men expose their chests and nipples, but ladies can't? I it's mean, a double mind. standard. I agree. It's a double standard. Anywho, anything else on this? That's story? all I have to say about this. I'm done. I'm done. done. I'm ready for the new storyline. Yeah, and we're completely changing gears and going back to Deep Space Nine. So this is Deep Space Nine's second IDW miniseries, but it's Technically, their third series they've been in because they did the whole 
Deep Space Nine Kelvin Universe crossover uh, with for a couple issues back in the ongoing. So it's kind of cool that they keep uh, dropping some love to Deep Space Nine. I wish they would do the same for Enterprise. That's all I'm saying. That would be great. Someday, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've done Deep Space Nine a couple of times, Voyager a couple of times. Come on. Give it some love. So Enterprise and Lower Decks are the only two Star Trek franchises that have never had a comic book series. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Lower Decks is pretty new. Well, there was a Discovery one as the first season was going on, so that doesn't mean anything. Anyways, shall we move on to to this issue? Let's. All right. So this came out of uh, April of 2020. Fairly recently, they just finished the uh, the final issue was just earlier this month. Uh, the writers is Scott Tipton and David Tipton, artist by Greg Scott, colorist by Felipe Sobriano, letters by Neil Utaki, edits by Chase Moratz, and uh, there is four covers for this bad boy. So the first one is by Ricardo Drummond, and it shows Odo kind of peering around a corner. Looks like he's wearing like a dark uniform for some reason, darker than his normal uniform. And he's like looking at some people that are casting shadows on the wall. And then the uh, photo cover is uh, looks kind of like the other one with, again, Odo peeking around a corner. This time there's no shadow and he's wearing his normal Bajoran uniform. The third cover is by J.K. Woodward. And it has the the word Deep Space Nine in some weird font, and it shows Odo kind of like walking towards the reader, with Cisco standing behind him, and then behind Cisco is like uh, burning bulkheads and things like that. And then the final cover is uh, just like the last J.K. Woodward one, except it just doesn't have any of the uh, the logos or IDW numbers or anything like that on there. All right, so the story starts with Garrick and Bashir having their business-as-usual lunch, but this time they are doing a different thing. They're going to a cafe owned by a Bajoran woman named Levine. So during lunch, they talk in their roundabout way about what each side knows about the ongoing Dominion War. Their lunch is abruptly ended by a bomb going off in the middle of the diner uh, that kills eight people and injures many, many more. Luckily, Garrick was able to pull Bashir down just in time to save them both. Later, Odo is being tasked with finding out where the bomb came from. And speaking with the proprietor, Levine, she very emphatically states that it was Quark. He's the most crooked person on the station, and he's the only one that voiced to her that she needs to get the heck off the promenade. Odo agrees that they cannot trust Quark, but is he really capable of this mass murder? Meanwhile, back in medical, O'Brien, Dax, and Bashir talk about the shrapnel that came out of the bomb. It seems that he's been pulling radium darts out of the victims all day. Dax and O'Brien leave to investigate how these darts made it to the station. Later, Odo is visited by Worf in his office. Worf knows that it was the Nausicans, though he has absolutely no proof to back this up. Odo wonders why the Nausicans would do it and kill two of their own in the, in the process. 
as if prompted, two Nausikans then arrive and demand to know why Odo has not arrested the culprit. When they see Worf, they do try to start a fight with him, but Odo goes all Plastic Man on them and knocks them back. He says that they will be notified as soon as he knows something, and he sends them packing. Once they leave, Odo is contacted by Chief O'Brien. They know where the radium darts came from. And then we flash forward to a little bit later. Quark is brought into Odo's office, and he's informed that they know the darts came from him. When Quark tries to deny it, Odo says that they know it's true because a new shipment just arrived to the station, and it's addressed to Quark himself. To be continued. Quark? Quark wouldn't do that. Come on. Yeah, so Year 5 is destroying everything we know about uh, Gary Seven, turning him into a mass murderer, political activist-type person. And here... They're doing the same thing to Quark. He's he's now a terrorist bomber. Well, you know he's just being pinned. Just being pinned on him. Whoever really did it is... Uh, I don't know. He's trying to frame Quark. I think it's going to stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously this already happened somewhere in the middle of the run right. of Deep Space Nine. So, no. <laughs> Yeah, of course it's not. But it it does make you kind of... I mean, there was a part of me when I was reading this that was just like, no, they couldn't think. Cork, he's the lovable little little green man that shows up in the 50s and, you know, all this other stuff. That, you know, he's, <laughs> he's not a bad guy, but then you think about it, he's like, well, he, he really is still the bad, a bad guy because, I mean, he is always doing illegal stuff. And, sure he is, but, but not murder. But not murder. Yes, murder. that's what I was going to get at. He's never... He's never done anything like to hurt people. He doesn't. He does stuff sure. to just line his own pockets. Exactly. But you know, crimes, crime. So he should still be punished. <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. But you know, it's always the uh, like you said, the the lovable con man kind of right. And at times, he is actually a good source of information for Odo and even Cisco. Sure. Because he's on the, uh, he's plugged into the nasty side of things. What I don't get is, how is Quark able to? What does the what does the woman say? Uh, who owns the restaurant? Um, all the shipments go through Quark or something. It's like, wait a minute. And, and I know they they talked about things like that uh, on the show too. Right. But, but really, how does that work? I mean, how does everything go through Quark? I mean. The Starfleet does stuff doesn't go through Quark, so they're saying all the non Starfleet military non uh, non military uh, commerce stuff somehow is going through Quark. Well, I know that he's like president of the Promenade Guild, so technically, I mean, I don't know if he can block the shipments like oh, she says he can. That, but that what what's, what's I meant? don't know. I'm I'm just saying. I know that he does have some authority over um, all the other proprietors as far as that. You know. He's, He's like a home association mm. for the promenade. Oh God, a home association person. Oh my God. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if he can. I don't know if he can really, you know, make somebody go out of business, with, like she's saying. Right. I mean, he says that she says he poaches her staff. Okay, I could see that. 
but then uh-huh. it says she says that he blocks her shipment, so I guess that's a little blocks her shipments. That, that's, that's, a little, that's something. That's a little worse. Exactly. But you know, he's always stealing stuff. So I mean, who, whoever he's stealing from is being hurt. You know, I mean, you're still stealing something. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a sure. victimless crime, like you know they always like. Ha, no, no. You're not supposed to have this court. Ho, ho, ho. You know, and you're like, uh, that was somebody's livelihood that needed that. Mm-hmm. It's yep. not a funny little joke. Yep. This is serious. Exactly. Right. This poor woman. Yeah, I was wondering why at the beginning they're like dropping her name and giving her this little backstory. Like, oh, Bashir, and y'all have never come to eat at my place before. And I'm like, I don't know you. I don't care about you. <laughs> mm. Get on with the story. And then the bomb goes off, and I'm like, oh, that poor woman. <clears throat> now you made me feel for her. Yeah, well, she was also – you made me feel for her, but also she's a little bit a bacostic person. So they, they mentioned that at the beginning, Bashir and Garrick. Uh, and then her reaction – I mean, yes, her business was just blown to heck, but she is like – drawn as a nutcase as she's trying to convince Odo and Cisco that it was Quark. Right. I mean, the spit's flying, and she's got her hands in the air, and she looks like she's insane. Yeah, she looks like a like a witch or something that's coming out to, to gobble exactly. you all up. Exactly. And your little dog, Toto, too. <laughs> I mean, for the record, her place just blew up. She lost some, she exactly. lost some staff. Exactly. You know, and she, exactly. She says in the panel before... I just walked into the kitchen. If it would have been like two seconds earlier, I would have been right there too. So sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure giving some her, of her employees were like her friend her too. Distra- Friends, her uh, distraughtness. I understand, but it is weird. Well, She's not a main character yet. They're giving her a lot of screen time here in this book. All right. So maybe she'll come it, back it, later. Maybe it's all like an insurance scam. Well, that and if she wants to get Quark off her back, uh, you know, getting him arrested mm-hmm. for murder that's an effective way to do it isn't it yeah i hope that's not the case not saying that's not her it's her that did it but it's a possibility i mean basically this is a who done sure right so you got to start looking at the suspects and uh usually a good who done it will leave clues for the reader exactly you just have to notice it as opposed to those hillary queen timothy dutton episodes or Jim Hutton. Jim Hutton? Anyway, the Ellery Queen TV show that was short-lived. They made that so hard. There's no way you'd be able to figure out what was going on from what they told you. Anyway, that's my yeah. commentary on that show. I, I don't know what that show is, but I, I do kind of like those old Matlock and Murder, She Wrote type mystery yeah. shows. Yeah. Because I think they did give you enough detail that it's never a big, like, how I You had a old. shot to figure it out. Right. Totally unlike uh, Columbo, that would tell you who is the murderer right away, and then it's the cat and mouse game to find out. I, I, I like the I like mysteries. I like whodunits. Yeah, he just has one question. One, yeah. one other thing, and then it, well, one that is. I just have one more question, yeah. if you don't mind. <laughs> Why would you do it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did watch a murder she wrote not too long ago. Just. And I say not too long ago. It's been years because we haven't had cable in years. But I was just flipping the cable channels, and uh, Nana Visitor was on there, speaking of Deep Space Nine. 
So it's kind of cool. cool to see see her in something other than Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, she was on um, a year or two ago, maybe. She was on some some TV show mm-hmm. where she was like a guest star uh, for a time. Uh, so it was good seeing her there. Uh, it's interesting seeing that um, Seven of Nine is a regular now or a semi-regular on uh, MacGyver now. Oh, really? The new yeah. one? The new so, MacGyver with the kid? The new MacGyver. Yeah, so it's like, hey, Seven of Nine, she's there, but without all the face things. <laughs> and she's probably not wearing the cat suit. Oh, no, you, you no get to wear normal You get to wear normal suits. Yeah. Exactly. A little bit more like the Picard. Seven of Nine than the uh, the traditional one. They did a Mortal Kombat uh, reboot not too long ago, and she she played Sonya Blade in it. Um, it it oh. was like a little fan film that uh, ended up being like a. Then it got licensed by them, and they made like a little TV series out of it for oh. the for the interwebs. But it was cool. pretty good. She she was good at it. She she didn't really do much, but she was kind of like piecing it all together. All these these crazy things that were going on and. Were they supernatural or not, kind of thing? Huh. It was called cool. Mortal Kombat Legacy. If, you, if you're huh. interested. Uh, another interesting web TV, which we need to get back to this yeah, comment, exactly. but just briefly mentioning <laughs> it, I've just been watching episodes of Fresh Hell, which is pretty good. I kind of like it. Never heard of it. Well, it's worthwhile taking a look. Uh, because it's basically it, it stars Brent Spiner, Ooh. and it's he has um, Lavar Burton on it a lot, so Lavar pops up a lot. Um, I assume they probably have other Star Trek alum that pop up every once in a while, but he's basically kind of like a Larry David uh, kind of um, what uh, curb your enthusiasm kind of feel to it. Hmm. But the whole thrust of it is... Is he playing himself, uh, quote-unquote himself? Oh, yeah, he's playing oh, okay, himself. okay, okay. Oh, he is himself. It's pretty funny. So somehow he did something where... Did something unforgivable uh, on TV, an interview, or something, and everybody hates him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he can't get work, and, right. uh, and he's... He's hitting up uh, LeVar Burton for some money. <laughs> What's it called? What's it called? Fresh Hell. All right, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, you have to look at that. It, not all the episodes are perfect, but um, there's there's one in particular with LeVar where he's trying to get money from LeVar and he's in a park. Uh, that's a good one. That, that's a good one to watch. Anyway. Oh, that's pretty fun. Okay, back, right, to, back this. to this. Um, okay, so what do you think about the uh, artwork? I was just about to ask you. Um, I'm not the biggest fan. It almost looks like, uh, photos were just, uh, like put through Photoshop oh. and they kind of like oh, flattened gotcha. it and smoothed out color wise right. to make it look like it was, I mean, I'm hoping that's not the case, but, uh, uh it, it really looks like that. Cause yeah. I've done that a few times and when I'm looking at this, it's like, I think I could have done this. <laughs> yeah um, I didn't have that insight about it being processed real film kind right. of thing or having that look to it anyway 
But um, the first page, uh, especially when I saw Garrick for the first time, it was like, ooh, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this. But then later in the book, uh, there's a shot on the first page. You see Worf, and it's like, ooh, that looks good. Worf looks really good. Uh, he was saying, I was wondering how your investigation is proceeding. Right. And and he, I think he looks really good. And then the explosion itself with the kaboom. So this is like a two-page spread kind of thing. And uh, I think that looks fantastic. Um, with the woman screaming I love in the, the corner. Uh, the, the woman screaming in the corner, uh, the silhouettes, the, uh, like, like the... Like the almost like shadow silhouettes that people are created because of the, 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 the blinding flash of the explosion itself. And there's people that are being thrown back. I think it just really gets across the horror of the moment of the explosion really well. Right. Love it. Definitely. So it's, it's hot and cold. Uh, and then they included a chicken guy, a chicken head guy in one of the, the the crowd scenes in the promenade area. And it's like, why did they include a chicken guy? Uh, I, I missed so, the chicken uh, guy. Now I'm a, yeah, oh, no, no, well, it's, it's a pro on the very first page. Exactly. So did they have to put the chicken guy in? I, okay. Okay, why not? Aliens are aliens, but looks a yeah, little ridiculous. the chicken guy looks really out of place once you see him. But I I <laughs> totally missed it the first, first read there. Yeah. I was more wondering what uh, what was going on with Bashir's face. Oh, he's like uh, letting you... one out or something. Tooting. Oh, well, what, what? What? I gotta look at this. It's now. on that first page. I, I thought I, I thought you were talking about the uh, about the, the two day growth that he. Had. Oh, that was after the bomb. Later on. Oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, the first time smooth, you see smooth face, but he's making a weird like grimace face. Yeah, he's got a he's got an interesting grimace face. Uh. So, so was that reacting to finally uh, Garrick showing up? Is that what the face was for? Right, or that he just does not like this Levine place that uh, Garrick told him to meet him at, and he's like, "Ooh, we're gonna oh. eat here." Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird face. Yeah, that is an interesting look. Yeah, I was face. all focused on the face and totally missed the chicken guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, is there even a single shot of Deep Space Nine itself, the outside oh, establishing yeah. shot? I don't, I think, don't think so. I don't think there Which is. It's kind of weird for a Deep Space Nine comic. Well, I mean, it's like uh, without no no external shot of the Enterprise. Yeah, that's crazy talk. It's crazy talk. But really, all this stuff is going on inside. But still, that's what most episodes are. It's going on inside. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, we we do we are not treated to one, but it does look pretty good how it's all ripped up inside post blast. Sure, I think some of that artwork is pretty cool. Um, yeah, the artwork's not bad. It's just I don't know. It's just there, flat. Yeah. It's like flat photos. Yeah, which uh, it just doesn't have that three dimensional texture that uh, that no. like if you like in the uh, year five, you know, it's a little cartoony, but it has depth and stuff when I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and the last thing to say is uh, Odo, Odo's face. Now, he's supposed to have a smooth face, sure. right? We all know that. But it's really smooth in most panels. 
Like there's almost nothing to his right. face. I mean, it takes that idea almost even further in some of the panels. Well, you can get away with it. Uh, you don't have to worry about the actor's nose. He doesn't have to have a nose anymore. <laughs> the, the nose does look a little bad in many of the right. panels. But, and we, we do see him a lot. I do, speaking of Odo, I do like his investigator's log. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice adaptation of the captain's log. So we're able to get a little glimpse into what's going on in Odo's right. head. Because Odo doesn't necessarily talk a lot if he doesn't have right. to. So it's good to have a mechanism to understand important thoughts that are going through his, his head. Since it really is his – I mean he's driving right. the story. Which I think is great. I love the murder mystery on the Enterprise – or on Deep Space Nine with him as you know, the Sherlock Holmes character that's – Figuring it all out. I I, I think I'm going to really like these next four, three issues. Yeah. Me too. Uh, my last comment is there's a lot of people slamming their hands down on desks. That's how you show that you're mad. Exactly. <laughs> so we got a Nausicaan that does it. And it really crunches the desk. And then we got Odo, Odo doing it later. On the next page, literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But... And they're just slamming their slamming their hands. Yeah, but when the Nausicaan does it, he he destroys the desk. When Odo does it, it just yes. like knocks over some of those darts. Exactly. Well, the the Nausicaan is doing it out of emotion, and Odo is doing it to drive home a port a point to right. Clark. So, so my problem with the story is O'Brien goes to medical, and then that's where he learns about these radium darts or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. You know, from my very limited knowledge of how bombs work, uh, he was already doing an investigation inside the restaurant. There should have been those darts all over the place inside the bulkheads and been. things like that. So the fact yeah, that he didn't know okay. anything about the darts until he went to see Julian pulling them out of people, uh, that that kind of annoyed right. me. I was just like, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, doesn't seem consistent. I mean, I guess you would be be trying to pull them out of people faster than you would worry about pulling them out of the bulkheads if it embedded itself, but I think there would have been a little shrapnel you could have already found while you were investigating down there. Yeah. Actually, I think it would have been better if Jadzia would have had that line, since she wouldn't necessarily have uh, known about the details of uh, the promenade as well as uh, O'Brien. Right, because we already saw him. We already saw him there. Yeah, and then um, my last thing is uh, it's back to the um, uh, just the plastic man thing. Uh, The way they drew it, um, (sighs) at first I thought he shot something because it's kind of like this really bright orange, and it says you know has this big uh, automatopia or something right above it that says "whap." But at first I thought it was like he fired a a blaster or a, a phaser at him. But then I was like, "Oh wait, no, that's that's his arm," you know. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's like a club or right. something. Like it's like thing. he's he's turned his his arm into a sand club because it is a light brown that looks kind of like a sand or maybe uh, a chicken leg, either one, <laughs> or a turkey leg in in memory of a uh, Thanksgiving leg. that we were supposed that's to enjoy. Yeah. A couple of <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so that yeah. panel kind of just threw me off. It's just like. You know, I had to look at it a, a little bit before I figured out that it was uh, Odo's plastic man abilities. 
Right. But uh, but aside from that, I mean, it's a nitpick, but it is just something that I had to like look at twice. Right. And I didn't understand why yeah. the Ossigans hate the Worf so much. I mean, they as soon as they see him, they completely stop talking to Odo and just like start fighting Worf for no reason. And do well, they're just they're ill-tempered. Sure. Ill-tempered dudes, and then Worf's not going to have any of it. Well, Worf, Worf was Worf. already in there trying to throw them under the bus, so it's like it seems mutual. But <laughs> Worf's already like it's yeah. them, and Odo's like, and you know that how they're Nausicans. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so weird. Why would why would Worf do that? I mean, that's not that's not mm. in his character because he's always he's always been the one that's like you know the people judge me for being a Klingon, you know, and oh. then yet here he is throwing the Nausicans under the bus with zero proof just because Nausicans going to do what a Nausicans going to do. <laughs> you're you're kind of racist, true. but there were. Well, there were episodes of TNG where uh, where Worf was jumping to conclusions about um, I wonder was it a uh, I forgot what the alien species was, but but Picard had to tell him to back off. So this is not without precedent. Mm. Uh, he was jumping to a conclusion about somebody that they didn't have all the work, all the information on right. yet. Uh, what was that one? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but, um, it has happened, but yeah, a lot, it just, just as, just as frequently, uh, Worf is very enlightened, but maybe also there's like a, like, who's the biggest baddest in the room? Right. Huh? You know, a Nausicaan is going to always say, me, moi, I am. Uh, but maybe Worf is like, eh, maybe you're not that big. <laughs> Maybe you're not that bold. You know, maybe I am. So maybe there's a little bit of a machismo going on? I don't know. Well, you like to point out who looks like Predator. Um, the Nausicans, I think, are more <laughs> than an homage to the Predator. Yes, like I think the, so. Uh, so they're like, the Predator looks cool. He has mandibles and dreadlocks. We'll do something different. We'll have him with, uh, dre- uh, <laughs> we'll have him with mandibles and an afro. So our, our guy is <laughs> exactly. completely different. <laughs> exactly. No, but th- th- that is a good point. Nasakins look very nasty and very uh, predator-esque. Which I'm not complaining about. It's a good look. No, it's a good look. I mean, if you wanted an alien that uh, that represented a scary big brute. Yeah, they're uh, definitely more form- formidable than uh, a Klingon. Well, they look like they could take a Klingon pretty right. easy, but um, and they stab, they st- I don't think they that's the case. They stabbed Picard in the back. They're bad dudes. Exactly. In the back. In the back. I mean, how much bigger are they than, than Picard? They didn't have to do that. Don't they, don't they actually, like, pick him up off the ground creepy. with that knife? Yes. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I think that was their first appearance in Star Trek, wasn't it? Um, that's the first, the first time, time I, I ever remembered them. But... You know, maybe they they were around. But I, I don't yeah. remember. All right. Anything else? Oh, I have to say about yeah, this. Same one. here. Same here. I'm looking forward to the finding out uh, this who done it. Exactly. Speaking of which, yeah, we'll be wrapping it up in the next issue. Next won't episode, we? sure will. There you go. Yep. Yeah, so issues two through four. Yep. 
And we will find out, indeed, who done it. I bet it's Gary Seven. They're going to, like, surprise, it's Gary Seven it's again? Gary Seven. 2020 oh is the crap on gosh. Gary Seven year. Oh, my God. He's like Loki. They're going to throw him in everything. Um, so just real quick, what about that cover art by uh, Ricardo Drummond? Did you like it? I mean, doesn't it look like Odo's wearing, like, a black uniform? And what's with the shadow of the Ferengis on the wall? It, I just... I oh, not, were they supposed to be Ferengis? I don't know. They got bumpy heads, so I'm assuming they're Ferengis. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not care for that cover. Oh. Well, I thought it was kind of bland. Right. It, I, I just thought right. it was bland. Right, but so for your, for your but, second Deep Space Nine uh, series ever, that, that's the cover that yeah. you're going to push it on? Uh, yeah. Go with? Yeah. If I was buying these physically, I would definitely I, be going for the J.K. Woodward one, just because it looks better. It actually looks like Odo. Yeah. Well, the... So the second cover was by Greg Scott, right? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Is it? Okay. Well, that's what I got out of uh, Lone Star Comics description. Greg Scott well, is the artist yeah, I, of I all do... of them. He, he's the inter- interior artist. Okay, but okay, I I'm pretty sure I read it. Lone Star Comic. It said cover was by Greg Scott, but fine. Anyway, the second one. I do like the look of the second one better. So the retailer incentive cover, I do like better. Yeah, right. And uh, and I kind of like the Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of uh, deep space nine. So make it kind of like a pulpy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. So I like that. So I, I do think that would have made the better uh, cover. Right. I do agree with that. Yeah, I'm just saying you need you need something flashy to get the kids to pick it up off the stand. You know, at, exactly. the, at the nickel and, and you, dime that and they're going to go to. Exactly. So you not only have the Odo thing going, and a better better drawing of Odo, but then you've got... Uh, Explosions you know, Cisco and fire. In the background. And, yeah. you got Cisco you in the background. That's, that, he's a pretty big character. You know, lead character. And then the explosion on the promenade, and then the big deep space nine. Red lettering. That's, that's, that, that's a right. grabber. Yeah, I agree. Should have used that one. But I don't know. Does anybody buy these in the stores anymore? <laughs> Does it even matter? Uh, well, uh, probably not, but traditions right. die hard. And there still are well, comic I mean, books. There has to be, otherwise Just... they wouldn't have four covers. They have to be going somewhere. Right. Well, yeah, but you can you can buy the four <laughs> you can buy the four covers off the true. web too. <laughs> but yeah. It's the grabber copies that really get your eye. But I guess on the web, too. I mean, every time you look at a, a comic, you've, you're looking at the uh, cover, right, when they present it? Yep. And you look over in the corner. How much is this going to set me back? Four bucks. Oh, that much? Wait a minute. Maybe I can wait uh, another two months and pick it up later when it's discounted. Maybe. Anyhow. All right. Well, then, uh, I guess we'll be back next week to finish this off. Great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us 
at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.